All right, welcome back to From 8 Arbitration, and today we're going to get into some high-level stuff dealing with relevancy letters. I know I've covered that before in episodes uh, dealing with Article 17 and 31, but for some reason we're getting a lot of relevancy letters lately, and people have been sending those to me. I'll read one of those to you here in just a second. Um, but we're going to deal with relevancy letters today, an entire episode. It's going to be some reading, a uh, lot to it, but it's going to be some high-level stuff. So new uh, stewards, hang on tight, uh, have your pen and paper ready. Now Jeremy McCall is going to put all this stuff I'm talking about into the citation section of FromAidArbitration.com. I've got a brief that I wrote. I've got an arbitration decision from Arbitrator August and an arbitration decision from National Arbitrator Richard Mittenthal. And those will be in one citation dealing relevancy letters. So you can pull all that up. I'll discuss that uh, more in depth here in just a bit. But first off, let me tell you, all thank you so much for the prayers and the well wishes and the good vibes and the thoughts that you sent out to my family dealing with my dad. Uh, last week, I did not have an episode because I was at the hospital with my dad who is my true hero, uh, like I call him, unsinkable ship. Um, but he uh, he's 85 years old and two weeks ago went into the hospital dealing with some things and uh, the diagnosis was not good. Matter of fact, we thought we was maybe going to lose him. And so um, it was a tough, tough time. But uh, the doctors did a great job. Some of the things that they initially diagnosed him with came out not to be the case. And so he's back home now. Still got a, a little bit to go before he's 100%, but he's at home. And uh, I just want to say thank you all. The, the outpouring of love and support from my dad and my mom and me was uh, unbelievable. It's fantastic. So I, thank you so much for that. But that's the reason I did not have an episode last week. Also, I want to say thank you to JB. He's picked it up for me because... <laughs> Because I get a lot of emails, a lot of messages, phone calls even. People requesting things, want me to look at things. I have pawned all that off on JB while I've been up there with my dad. And uh, so he's done uh, the, the layman's work for me. He's pulled, he's pulled that work for me while I've been out of commission. And so JB, thank you, brother. You know I love you. Uh, he's a special dude, man. He's, he's a good guy, but uh, so thank you to JB. Um, but again, thank y'all so much for the love. Uh, hey, it meant the world to me and my family and, uh, looks like pops is going to be okay. So anyway, with that being said, I have a couple of things before I get into this article 1731, these relevancy letters. Uh, want to talk about a removal this gentleman got, he sent it to me. I'm going to talk to y'all about it. I also had a very good conversation with this gentleman on my ride. It lasted about an hour and a half, one of the better conversations I've had. And it was dealing with uh, his formal A meetings. And his station manager, postmaster, is a straight-up bully. And I uh, had a, a very good conversation with him. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about that, okay? So that let me see here. We've got... The relevancy letter, I'll do that last. We got this uh, removal, I'll do that, and then this formally meeting. And so um, we'll talk about those things. 
when we're dealing with formal A meetings, formal step A meetings, and this gentleman that called me, he, he's basically kind of being bullied in the formal A meeting, okay? He'd gone to the formal step A meeting, and he has a complete tyrant as his counterpart. And one of those that, you know, we need to hurry up with this meeting. You ain't got all day in here. You know, Article 3 gives me that right. Uh, we're not going to sit in here all day and, and let you work on these contentions. Uh, you don't have a grievance. Uh, basically threats and things like that. He's, he's been dealing with this individual. And with that, he said he has been withdrawing grievances that he thought were legitimate grievances. And, and so that he was upset with himself. Uh, and so we talked a good bit about that. Like I said, we talked about an hour and a half. And the thing is, is that when we, when I talk in earlier episodes about the informal step, a can be the dev, the most devastating position. It's because that gives us 14 days to request information, to do our research, to make sure that we've got a grievance. I write contentions at the informal step a, uh, and I've been, devastating in arbitrations as an informal step a witness uh, because normally they don't have an informal step a witness they'll have uh, uh, the formal a and that's it but uh, i do write contentions for my formal step a informal step a a lot of people don't do that and that's hey whatever y'all decide to do that's your, your business but as the formal step a rep i'm going to get those contentions and i'm going to read over those add things that i that I know that maybe the informal step A didn't catch or that they don't know because there's a lot of M documents that informals have no idea are even out there. That is a formal step A. I deal with those all the time. And so I'll know to put those in the file in my contentions. And when I go to that formal step A meeting, I'm a hundred percent correct. I know that for a fact, I'm a hundred percent right in my position. And if I'm not, I will not be going to the formal step A meeting with this grievance. The formal step A is the most important step. I've said it a million times. The formal step A is the most important step because it's the first time I'm going to see management's contentions. I've also talked about that numerous times. But I know for a fact when I go into this meeting that I'm right. I have no doubt. I'm going to tell a couple of stories on JB. He's going to kill me, but JB's first... Now, let me tell you this about JB, and he will kill me on this because you don't ever talk about your record. That's a no-no. I believe in karma. <laughs> so you'll never hear me talk about my record on anything. Um, but JB is is the formal step A for my installation. There's 16 stations in this installation. It's the biggest installation in our region, and it's by far the most influential uh, branch installation in our regions, branch four. And so he's been doing that for several years. Well, JB's got about a 97% winning percentage on his cases. He takes to formal step a, and he does not cherry pick. He's had some very difficult cases and he's got three coming up a removal on the carrier throwing mail away. I told you about the uh, carrier that falsified doctor's documentation and another carrier that, uh, allegedly threatened his manager and supervisor, cussed him out, and uh, three removals on that. And he called me the other day, and, and he updates me. Not that he needs to do that. He don't need my help at all. But he uh, was updating me on those three removals. I think he's going to win them. 
I just do. <laughs> I mean, the, the guy's that good. And uh, so I'd say that JB has about a 97, 96, 97, 98% winning percentage at formal step base. So he knows his business, right? But the very first formal step A meeting for JB, now I was kind of his mentor back then, but he, like I said, he, he surpassed me a long time ago. But when he first started, you know, he had called me seeking some help some guidance and so he is headed to his first formal step a meeting and uh so he calls me he's like hey i'm headed there i was like all right man good luck to you you know you got this and he, yeah now what do we got okay i got this and this and this i said okay well talk to me about that well on this case here i've got this and this and so i feel pretty good about that and i've got this which is the controlling document and i said well, hang on just a second i said who told you that was the controlling document well, it is the controlling document. I said, you saying that don't make it so. I said, who told you that that was the controlling document? Well, you know, I looked it up. I was like, JB, just tell me, how is that document the controlling document? Is that all you got? Is that what you're relying on, that that's the controlling document? And he said, well, damn. He said, maybe I need to postpone it and, and go back and look this up. I said, why would you do that? He's like, well, I thought that was a controlling document, but but you're saying it's not? I said, I didn't say it wasn't. I just said, who told you it was? Well, I thought it was. I said, well, it is the controlling document. I said, but damn, baby. I said, you didn't last one question. <laughs> I said, you folded on your position. Know for a fact that you're right. Know for a fact that you're right. I don't care what anybody says in that formal step A meeting. You are right. If that's a controlling document, say, I said it's a controlling document. <laughs> and so that's all that matters because I'm the formal step A representative. Okay, I got you. I got you. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I knocked my man off kilter on one question. But like I said, the dude is is was made for the grievance arbitration process. <laughs> His mind is on another level. And so, but that was his very first one. I remember that and I bug him about it still, but just that one question, well, who told you that was the controlling document? And it, his whole case went to shit. Look, when you get into the formal step A meeting, you already know that you're right. And that's what I was telling this gentleman that called me. I don't give a shit what the postmaster or manager says. I don't care about the, anything in the formal step A meeting that they say. I know that I'm right. And this guy says, well, you know, he always says Article 3. Then, then what you need to do is you need to tell him that would be a good contention for you then. If you think that Article 3 gives you the right to do what you're doing, then that should be in your contention. But this is going up. If he says we're wasting time, well, how much time do I have? To me, at the formal step A meeting, I've got all day to fully develop this file. So how much time do we have in here? Well, it don't need to be all day. Where does it say that at? Where does it say it don't need to be all day? It'll be as long as it needs to be for us to fully develop this file. And that's what this gentleman was having an issue with, is he has a bully. Look, at the formal step A meeting, you're the head motherfucking honcho in there. You are the man or woman in that meeting. Nobody is above you in the formal step A meeting. So when you go in there, we know that we're right already, 100%. Management will never talk me out of my position. I know that I'm right. 
So if you come in there and you say, well, my Article 3 gives me the right, okay, we'll put that in your contention then. That sounds like a good contention for you. So put that in your contentions and tell me how many pages you got. We'll write it down this 8190. And so we talked a long time, this gentleman and I, about an hour and a half, like I said. And he was getting the courage up, man. Uh, I loved it. And uh, so hopefully, hopefully he'll go in that formal step A meeting and, and stick his foot up management's ass with the 8190 now. <laughs> with the 8190. But just know that when you're in the formal step A meeting, you're right. I know that I'm right. I'm going to prove that I'm right. I'm going to show you that I'm right. I don't care what management says in the formal step A meeting. They're irrelevant to me. Management is a signature on an 8190. That's all they are to me unless they want to resolve this thing. They mean nothing to me in the formal step A meeting. So when we're in that meeting now, make sure that we're not buffaloed by management. Okay, and uh, to this gentleman, hang in there. I promise you, bully, no bully, you're the master of that formal step A meeting. Just know that. When you go in there, have your contentions ready, have your position ready. Tell him he's not going to rush me out of there. I don't care what he says, if he threatens me or whatever. I don't care about any of that stuff. <laughs> okay, and so j just be ready in that formal step A meeting. All right, make sure that we have everything that we need, all of our contentions to support our position fully, okay? I got a removal the other day, and a gentleman called me on it. Uh, it's sticky. It's a sticky little removal. Uh, but whenever we get removals or any kind of discipline, you always have to think of every single thing that you can think of, Right? Uh, that's when I talk about case building, file building, when we talk about Article 16, all the different just cause provisions, all those things. All those things should be going through your mind when you get discipline of any kind. And so I had this removal that a gentleman sent me the other day, and, um, and it was dealing with management using scanner data against us. And it got pretty extensive you know, and the guy knew that he was wrong when he called me. Uh, he sent me the removal. We read it together. And, uh, and he made some mistakes on it. Um, but there are things that we can do. And he's having issue with his uh, informal and formal branch president, which happens way too many times. It happens way too much. Um, these people that refuse to think outside the box refuse to think as an advocate would think that's what all this is about about making every argument that we can we talk about arrows in a quiver and so when you get disciplined you have to think outside the box it's not always what's on this piece of paper okay uh, so we have to think of different things and that's the reason i talk about stationary events when i had that that episode i talk about concurrence when i had that episode it's it's to help you with discipline how we break down discipline, okay? And I'm going to read this to you. You point out the red flags as I read it, okay? And it's a notice of removal. And it states this. Charge, misconduct, as evidenced by, specifically on Thursday, September 8th of 2022, 
Postmaster John Doe was reviewing the data from regional intelligence mail servers, RIMS, so they're reviewing RIMS data, which revealed that you had taken over an hour to get to your first delivery point. Postmaster John Doe then went out to the street to have a discussion with you about this delay. You told him that you had a family emergency and that you were taking an extended lunch. Postmaster Doe asked you if you had prior authorization from management to deviate from your route to take an extended lunch, and you told him you did not. Management did not receive a completed PS1260 from you until Monday, September 11th of 2022. You were scheduled for an investigative interview on September 16th, 2022. This interview was conducted with your union steward, John Doe, present. During this interview, you were asked about the incident, and you said the 1260 was put on your desk that night. You should have gotten it. I filled one out on Friday. I went to the street about 9, 10 a.m. On the way to my route, my babysitter called and said that she had locked herself out. I then had to run over to our new house on this street to get the keys. Then maintenance had to come and let me in. Prior authorization had been given to me in the years past. However, when asked, why didn't you notify management? You said, I didn't think of it. I didn't know it had been pre-authorized. You're also asked, has management ever discussed your stationary events with you? If so, when? Your response to that was, yes, I can't cite when. I can't think of when off the top of my head. Your answers do not support your claim of a family emergency. RIMS shows your first deviation was to the street there. Then you went to McDonald's on this street. Finally, you went to your address of record and were there over 40 minutes citing that you needed maintenance after you already went to the new home you were not yet living in to get your keys. You didn't explain how it was that you still needed maintenance after getting your keys or why you stopped at McDonald's before getting to your babysitter. You also didn't explain why you had to be present to contact maintenance. You had also acknowledged that you had been spoken to before about stationary events. Most recently, this was discussed with you after stationary events on August 5th. Your unauthorized stops and stationary events had also previously been discussed with you on May of 2022. And then it's got um, different contractual provisions, about 20. And so he talks to me about that. And, uh, of course, we, you know, we talked about the fact that he answered any questions out there on his route when the postmaster came out. If the postmaster comes out and says, this is a discussion, I'm going to take that to mean that you're giving me an official discussion. And if you're giving me an official discussion, why am I being given discipline off of the very thing that you gave me a discussion about? The letter of removal says that he came out there to give me a discussion, right? So to me, I'm going to say, all right, you gave me a discussion now that I know. And so why am I being given discipline if you acknowledged in the removal notice that this is a discussion. Secondly, don't ever answer questions on your route when management comes out to you, ever. This is what happens. Matter of fact, when I had the stationary event episode, I said, if management comes up to your case and they say, hey, look, yesterday it shows that you were sitting somewhere for 45 minutes. What shows? Well, this, uh, this the scanner data on my computer. I, I never did it. Thanks. 
I asked the gentleman, what would have happened if he would have said or asked, why did it take you 45 minutes to get to your first stop? And you said, I don't remember doing that. Well, yeah, it's showing that you took 45 minutes. What's showing? The REMS data. Yeah, I don't think I did that. Well, no, I know for a fact you did it. No, you don't know for a fact I did anything because you weren't out here watching me. Then you could say you knew for a fact I was doing something, but REMS data is not a fact. And so I would not answer any questions without my shop steward present. So, and he knows that he messed up when he did that because what, like I said in that stationary event episode, they're going to take that and give you an investigative interview. That's exactly what happened to this gentleman here. So he goes into the investigative interview. Hey, REMS data showed this. I said, did you talk to him about section 134? He said, yes, I remember you saying that in your episode. So I asked him about it. I said, you know, under section 134 of the M39, you can't use covert techniques. And management told him this in the investigative interview. They said that under these new memos, 1982, 1983, and 1984, they have not been authorized to watch us and give discipline to us based off of scanner data. That's what they told this gentleman. I said, what'd your shop steward say? He didn't say anything. I said, he didn't come in there and correct him on that? Nope. He didn't say anything to him about it. And so he's telling management, no, that's not right. Well, yeah, it is right. It is right. We can now watch you and give you discipline based off of these scanners because of these new memos. And that's the reason... When these new memos came out, I talked about the mayhem, how management's going to take these and bastardize that, now say they can watch us. Matter of fact, we asked Mr. Renfro that very thing on the episode when we had questions and answers for him, and he stated, they cannot be used outside of anything dealing with these memos, outside of the route adjustment process. That's the only way the scanners can be used to watch us is in that route adjustment process. They cannot be used for disciplinary purposes. He said that, and he's got his signature on the memos. And so management's sitting here telling this guy in the investigative interview that they have the right to watch us now and discipline us off of the scanner data based off of these new memos. And his shop steward says nothing in the investigative interview to correct that. So I asked the gentleman, I said, what'd you do after that? Well, I told my shop steward that they can't use that. What'd he say? Yes, they can. <laughs> I said, do what? He said, the shop steward agrees with management. They can watch us now based off of these new memos. I said, please tell me you're kidding. No. I said, did you talk to your branch president? Yes. What'd he say? He agreed with management <laughs> that they can watch us now based off of these new memos and issue discipline. I said, please tell me that you're kidding. He said, no. I said, you've got to call your business agent's office right now and tell them what's going on. I said, then you need to write a very detailed statement and make sure that you include in that very detailed statement what happened to you in the investigative interview. And you need to say that I addressed the M39 section 134 with management. I addressed 
the fact that they cannot use scanner data against me as a sole basis for disciplinary action. And they said that they could, that these new memos trumped the old step four. That was M1458, if y'all remember me talking about it in my stationary event episode. And make sure that that's in a very detailed statement and put that in your in your contentions. He said, well, my shop steward said they can do it. I said, I don't care about your shop steward. Write a very detailed statement and put it in your contentions. Call the business agent's office and tell them that way they can get a hold of your shop steward branch president and correct them. I said, call your business agent, call me back. So he calls me back. He said, they wouldn't let me speak to the business agent. I had to speak with an RA. I said, okay, what'd he say? He agreed with them. I said, brother, I said, there's no possible way that, that, that they agreed with that. No. He said that they can use it against me since I admitted it. I said, well, now where that's going is it says that scanner data cannot be the sole determinant for discipline. It can be used in conjunction with things. I said, when you answered those questions, when you said yes, that you, you took a long time to get to your route, when you cooperated that data, now they can use that 1458. Now they can use that data against you because you admitted it. You acknowledged it. And he said, no. He said, they said that with the new memos, they are allowed to watch us now on the street. I said, for disciplinary purposes? He said, it didn't matter. They can watch us now on the street. I said, your business agent said that? Well, the business agent's office said that. The RA said that. I said, are you kidding? I said, you need to call National and report that. So he called National. I don't know what's happened since then, but is everybody on the same page here as far as these memos, as far as them using scanner data against us? Are we all on the same page here? Maybe National needs to have a sit down with all the business agents and say, hey, look here. These memos are for the purpose of route adjustment only. They are not meant to circumvent or override any standing step four we have prior to that that deals with management discipline letter carriers. In my episode dealing with stationary events, I talked about step four, 1458, and that's the one that you'll need when dealing with stationary events or dealing with anything gotten off the scanner in 1458. And that's what I told this gentleman. Look, we, we admitted it. We shouldn't have admitted it, especially with management out there one-on-one -on -one with us. Again, if a manager comes out there to me on my route and he says, hey, Corey, this is a discussion. Okay. Why did, well, no, that's not a discussion any longer. That's, that's an invent interview, an investigation. Anything that starts out with why, I'm no longer being given a discussion. A discussion is, hey, scanner data says you took 45 minutes to get to your route. Be careful with that. If you are doing that, you know, you could be disciplined if you're caught. That's a discussion. If you say, why did you, that's an interview. I'm being interviewed. And I'm going to stop it right there and say, Hope, I need my shop steward present. Why? This can't lead to discipline. I don't care what you say. <laughs> I need my shop steward present because you're asking me questions. It's no longer a discussion. 
Everybody needs to understand that. Okay? I told y'all they're going to take these memos and do this shit, and here they're doing it. Now this guy has a removal based off of REM's data where management says they can watch us because of these new memos. They bastardized these memos, and now we have a gentleman that's been removed because of it. Now, he shouldn't have answered the question, true enough. So what do we do now? What do we do now that he's answered the question? How do we think outside the box? That's where we are with this removal. And that's what me and this guy was talking about. How do we think outside the box now with this removal? You say that I was late getting to my route based off of REM's data. Okay? You come out there and you question me one-on-one. I admit it. You tell me it's a discussion, and now I'm being given discipline based off of something you acknowledge was a discussion. I'm going to raise that argument. I asked him, I said, who is the initiating supervisor? So-and-so. I said, okay, who's going to meet at the informal step A? The, infor- the initiating and requesting supervisor. Okay. Now, who is the concurring official? The postmaster. Okay. Now, who is going to meet at the formal step A? The postmaster. I've got a, a massive procedural due process problem with that. Okay. I've got four steps to be heard. The informal, the formal, B team, and arbitration. Two of those steps have just been removed from me to get a fair trial, if you want to call it that. Because the initiating and requesting supervisor is also meeting at the informal. Now, what's the chance he's going to say that he's wrong and be impartial and look at things impartially? Slim to none. Now I've got the concurring official who the very first question I'm going to ask the concurring official is, do you feel like you are 100% right when you concurred on this discipline? Their ego will not let them say anything other than yes. Their ego will not let them say anything other than yes. And that's the same thing in arbitration. Management's ego will always kill their case. They cannot get over their ego. And so at the formal step A meeting, I'll say, you're the concurring official. Yes. What did you look at? All of this here. Do you feel like you did a thorough investigation? Before you concurred? Yes, I do. Were you 100% positive when you concurred on that discipline that you're making the right decision? Oh, yes. Are you still 100% positive that you made the right decision? Absolutely. That is exactly what I ask management in arbitration. That is word for word what I ask management in arbitration. Because their ego is too big to say, I could have made a mistake. And in that formal step A meeting, they're going to say, absolutely, I'm 100% right. And now you're in here meeting at this formal step A meeting on this guy's removal. Yes. What sense does that make? How is this man going to get a fair shake in his removal? If the issuing supervisor is the informal and the concurring official is the formal, I said, did you tell your, tell your branch president that? Yes. What did he say? He laughed at me and said, well, who else is he supposed to get? I don't give a fuck who he gets. It shouldn't be him. It says what in Article 15? The installation head or designee. He should have got a designee. He should have got somebody 
that was the same level or whatever to come in there and meet on that so that they would be in compliance with Article 15. And that's the contention that I'm going to make. And that's the argument I'm going to make in arbitration when I'm talking to an arbitrator. I'm going to say, what chance does this man right here have at the informal and formal? Two steps out of four where he gets his case heard and two of those are thrown away because of ego. And then you got some dumbass branch president and shop steward laughing, saying, well, who is he supposed to get? I don't give a shit who he gets. He should have got somebody else besides himself to come in there and be the formal step a representative. That's thinking outside the box. That's how we have to be. The most important thing is when they say, under 1458, M1458, where it says that scanner data cannot be the sole determinant for discipline. Well, he answered the question. He's guilty. As soon as he answered that question, he's guilty, right? Have you ever seen a, a show or something on TV where the cops bust into somebody's house and they got 50 pounds of cocaine and they bust into the house and they find all of it. There's cases full of money and they arrest the person. They take them out. And they say, was this yours? Yes, all that was mine. All that cocaine's yours? Yep, it's all mine. All that money's yours. Every bit of it's mine. I made every bit of it from selling that cocaine. And they go to trial, and the judge says, where was the warrant? We didn't have a warrant. We just had a suspicion. So you didn't have the authority to go in there and get this stuff. No, case is dismissed. You didn't have a warrant. That's how you think outside the box on something like this. How they found out that this gentleman took too long to get to his route is called fruit of a poison tree. Okay? It's called fruit of a poison tree. And that's how they came about this information. It was ill-gotten gains <laughs> is what I would call it in arbitration. Arbitrator Wolitz in C32778, 32778, Arbitrator Wallets talked about this very thing, the very scenario where management is watching Carrie across the street while he's taking an extended lunch. And they disciplined him based off of that. And she said it's going to be thrown out because it's fruit of a poison tree. You watched him, not in accordance with Section 134 of the M39, treetopping, spying, using covert techniques. That's what I would say in this case here. Even though he admitted he was wrong, I would say, look, this is fruit of a poison tree. You got this information illegally. Because Section 134 of the M39 handbook says what? You cannot spy on me or use covert techniques is exactly what that is when you did that. Now, I talked about a case that I had here out of Nashville where my business agent sold us out, completely sold us out. And he, and he withdrew the case. It was the same type of case as this, um, and he, he cowered it out on us and killed it. Uh, but this is a perfect example of 134 of the M39 handbook when it talks about spying using covert techniques. That's exactly what this is talking about. You're looking at REM's data. You acknowledged it on the removal notice. So anything after that is fruit of a poison tree. And that's what I told this guy. That needs to be an argument. You have got to put arrows in the quiver. You have got to think outside the box when you're looking at discipline. I've got a, a, an issuing 
and requesting supervisor meeting informal. I've got a concurring meeting at formal. That's a huge due process violation to me. And those things need to be raised. I've got you telling me that you came out there to give me a discussion. There is no other discussion talked about in Article 16 other than a 16-2 discussion, which means what? It's not disciplinary. So you cannot give me a discussion and discipline on the same thing that's double jeopardy. Right? I asked him, did they talk about any of these contractual provisions in the investigative interview? Not a single one. I'm going to raise that contention as well. Because when we talk about is there a rule, is the employee aware of the rule? Hell, I don't know because you didn't ask him about any of the rules that you cited. That's how we know that. What about was a thorough investigation completed? When we talk about the employee's day in court to answer to the charges being brought against him. And I've got 20 contractual provisions on removal that he was never given the opportunity to defend himself against. How's that not a violation of that just cause principle? These are the things that we need to look at when we look at discipline. Everything, everything is a contention. You look at it from the top to the bottom, okay? To the stewards and branch presidents that are too cowardly or too complacent to represent, please do us a favor and quit and quit doing what you're doing. To the business agent's office, if you did say that, Man, you're in the wrong position. You're in the wrong position. I have a hard time believing that. I do. I have a hard time believing that. The, the business agent's office to me, and this is what I tell people all the time that, that, that message me, I, I, I'm, I'm not exaggerating, a thousand times. A thousand times. People have, have messaged me saying that their branch president, their formal aide, their shop steward refused to represent them. And I'll always tell them, call your business agent. Now, if you're a business agent or a business agent, somebody in their office, you've got the, the, the national business agent, which is an elected position, okay? And you've got two RAs, regional assistants. They are an appointed position. They work up under the business agent. Then you've got an RGA, regional grievance assistant. They're appointed. They work up under the business agent. And then people can go in the office and work doing several things. I've done that before, you know, putting case files together, mailing case files out, mailing arbitrations out. They do that. If if you're a business agent and you're a sellout, you're, you're damaging the letter carriers. If you're one of those that, that look at this podcast and say, hey, look, I don't like your podcast. Like my business agent, he hates it. Uh, I don't give a shit, <laughs> really. Uh, because what it does is it, it educates a workforce and it makes them work more. Because now you have an educated workforce calling saying, hey, look, here are things that I know to be wrong and I need them addressed. It makes the business agent get off their ass and do something. And a lot of them don't want to do that. A lot of them don't. Uh, you know, I get on this squawk box and I talk about it because I can. I told y'all a long time ago, my passion is arbitration. I love it. I love arbitration. There's nothing I would rather do than arbitration. I absolutely love it. 
You know what I don't do hardly any since I started this podcast? Arbitrations. <laughs> I don't do hardly any anymore. Wonder why. Wonder if it has anything to do with this podcast. Wonder if it's because I call people out and hold their feet to the fire because they're cowardly and they're filled with cowardice. An example. JB is absolutely mauling management at the formal step A in this installation. And he's getting cease and desist on these things, cease and desist. And so management comes in one day and they say, hey, we're no longer going to do a cease and desist. What are you talking about? We're no longer going to do a cease and desist. <laughs> okay, then we'll send it up. So you're going to send us up over a cease and desist? Well, yeah, I'm not going to go backwards. I've been getting a cease and desist. So I'm going to get a cease and desist. We're not doing that. So it goes to the B team and it gets sent up over a cease and desist. The business agent's office comes back and, and pre-arbs something saying, we'll comply. Management will comply. What the fuck is that? Send another one up. Shall comply. Do what? What's, what's a shall comply? So we're not getting cease and desist anymore. We're getting a will comply or a shall comply. Well, hey, I want you to say, wish you would comply or please comply. Or we wish, we wish that everybody would comply. Why don't you just do that shit if we're going to be cowardly about stuff? Do that. See, when you have a, a coward as a business agent, that's what you get. You lose that fire. Management pulls their pants down and says, hey, this is what you're going to take. You're going to take a shall comply or we're not going to do anything. Oh, okay. We'll give you a shall comply. You're cowardly when you do that and you ruin integrity and you ruin position when you do that because now JB is getting shall complies and will complies handed down from his business agent's office. And he's going in that form, same formal step A meeting and saying, hey, look here. I need a cease and desist. I'm not giving you a cease and desist. Your business agent's office even said, will comply, shall comply. So he calls the business agent. Hey, what is this shit with a shall comply? Will comply. Oh, it's the same thing as a cease and desist. Well, no, it's not. If it was the same thing, then I'd be getting a cease and desist. Labor doesn't want to do that anymore. Who in the fuck is labor? <laughs> Who are they? And why, since when do we give a damn what they say? Well, they don't want to do a cease and desist anymore. Okay, send it to arbitration. Don't ever tell me that you're not doing something because of money. Don't sell me out because of money. And that's what we did. But anyway, so the business agent to me cannot be a coward. When I tell people, call the business agent and tell them that nobody's representing you underneath you. And they call me back and say, the business agent's not getting involved. What good are you? As the business agent, what good are you? Be a shepherd, okay? Be a shepherd as the business agent and understand that everybody, every sheep is important and you will sacrifice life and limb to guard every sheep because you have those that stray that need special attention. You have those, so get your lazy ass out there and be a shepherd and get that sheep and bring it back to the fold. You're a shepherd. You're not a sheep herder. A sheep herder leads from behind. A shepherd leads from the front, right? A shepherd will stand in front of the flock and attack anything that comes near it. Lions, bears, whatever, trying to get that. Wolves, whatever. They'll take that cane and beat the shit out of it, trying to keep it away from its flock. Be a shepherd. Don't be a sheep herder. 
They stand in the back. <laughs> they stand in the back, leave from the back. There's no such thing. If you're a business agent, be a shepherd. Lead from the front. Don't be scared. And if you've checked in or checked out, get the fuck out of your position. Okay? Cowardice cannot be tolerated at the business agent's office. And too much and too many times we have that. You cannot be a coward and be a business agent. To me, it's the most important position. It should be the ultimate badass in the business agent's office. You've heard Mike Cariff on this on this podcast. He's aggressive in his training, in his position, in his arbitration. He's aggressive. That's a shepherd. But you have others that are sheep herders that will leave from behind. Good luck to y'all. Good luck on y'all's endeavors. Don't bother me back here. <laughs> Don't call me and bother me with, with trivial things like your job. That's that's pitiful is what that is. I got off on somewhere, didn't I? What was I talking about? <laughs> I was talking about a guy's removal. But anything, think outside anyway, think outside that box when you get that discipline, okay? Business agents, step up for your people, man. Step up for your people. I saw something the other day I thought it was pretty damn neat. And this is what it said. Poor leadership is building a great team and doing everything in your power to hold on to control. It makes no sense to recruit the best people and tie their hands by not giving them the freedom to perform. That's the ultimate description of some business agents that I know. Some great people in the office and they'll do everything within their power to keep that control and, and micromanage. You're a manager. You need to be in postal management. That's what that is. Uh, I could be a martyr here by doing this and and not being able to do arbitrations anymore. I told y'all from the beginning, if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. Um, but I'm not going to quit talking about it because it's it's upsetting to know that, that the business agent, one of the most powerful individuals in the country, as far as our union is concerned, is bending over and taking it from management and is being disruptive as far as how they help people and how they run their office and not let people do their job. It's hurting the region in some of these regions. So there's y'all a little bit of something there y'all can take with you. So be a shepherd, not a sheep herder, like some of you are. Okay, try doing that. All right, I'm going to finish with this, uh, rele the relevancy letter, okay? And I've dealt with this numerous times, and I've dealt with it in an arbitration before, and I'm going to read to y'all uh, from some of that. But um, we're getting more and more of those for some reason. And, and I think that it's probably because the more educated we become and the more things that we request, the more, the more we delve into in these information requests because we're learning more about what to request, management will consider that a threat, okay? They'll consider that a threat and they'll start issuing these relevancy letters. We're doing fishing expeditions and all this type shit. And so when we get these things, we need to know how to defend them. And we will. 
and I'm fixing to tell you, I talked, like I said, I talked a little bit about it in episode 17 and 31 about relevancy letters. I sent Jeremy my brief that I did, an arbitrator August decision that uh, came after the brief, and also National Arbitrator Mintenthal's decision that I relied, uh, uh, put most of my brief, the, the weight of my brief into. And so I'm going to read from some of those things. It's going to be a little bit of reading, and I apologize. But here's the relevancy letter that I was sent from somebody, and this is what it stated. This is the relevancy letter that was stated. We're going to read this. And then we're going to to get into the brief I wrote based off of a uh, relevancy letter we got back in the past. It says, Management's stance on request for information is that we provide the information provided that the request for information is reasonable. Let me read that again. Management's stance on requests for information is that we provide the information provided that the request for information is reasonable. So they're saying that they're going to provide information to us as long as the request is reasonable. Okay? They're going to say Article 31.3 of the National Agreement states, To obtain employee information, the union need only give a reasonable description of what it needs and make a reasonable claim that the information is needed to enforce or administer the contract. The union must have a reason for seeking the information. It cannot conduct a fishing expedition into postal service records. They're gone. The key word here is reasonable. A look back at previous information that Mr. Doe has requested, and indeed in this very grievance, shows that the amount of information requested is voluminous. Taking up an entire page and spanning several programs and access to documents that are, in management's opinion, not relevant to investigation in Article 8 grievances. I'll read that last sentence. Taking up an entire page and spanning several programs and access to documents that are, in management's opinion, not relevant to investigation in Article 8 grievances. The amount of information that is being requested at once, coupled with recent interactions and findings from other grievances that Mr. Doe has filed, has led management to question the propriety of Mr. Doe's intention by filing such grievances. Management's reasoning for this stance follows. If indeed Mr. Doe is attempting to determine reasonably that grievance is valid and that a contractual violation has occurred, he would be looking at the particulars of that person or persons aggrieved. By attempting to access such a broad array of data, management contests that Mr. Doe's attempting to fish for additional violations that may have occurred. This also has a negative effect for the operation as the sheer amount of information requested takes an undue amount of time to collate and furnish. Management's stance of asking Mr. Doe for details at the time of requesting information is to both protect the interest and security of the post office and its employees and to also ensure that activities conducted within the confines of investigations into postal operations are done so with integrity. The details asked for at the time of the RFI are, in management's opinion, reasonable and they are asked to determine if the RFI is also reasonable in nature. 
A simple who, what, when, where, and why is what management contends is necessary to determine if a grievance has occurred and if the RFI is a valid request or a fishing expedition. Let me read that again now. Management's stance of asking Mr. Doe for the details asked for at the time of the RFI are, in management's opinion, reasonable. And they're asked to determine if the RFI is also reasonable in nature. A simple who, what, when, where, and why is what management contends is necessary to determine if a grievance has occurred and if the RFI is a valid request or a fishing expedition. However, Mr. Doe has refused to elaborate or furnish any information pertaining to the RFI or grievances that may be occurring. In fact, management often does not have any idea of what the grievance is referring to until it is filed and read by management other than a brief listing of articles that may or may not have been violated. That is, in management's opinion, unacceptable. The grievance process is by nature a cooperative effort that is designed to ensure that most potential issues and, hand, and handled, and they have not spelled any of this right, designed to ensure that most potential issues and handled and if possible filed fixed at the lowest possible level. That remedies are not construed to contain many additional riders unless otherwise unavoidable as having to negotiate on each one takes an undue amount of time and could potentially lead to an indecision which may restrict a grievance's chance of being settled at the lowest possible level. Management, as it always has done, will cooperate with the union to the best of its ability, but agreement will not be reached within the context of this grievance as it might enable and or legitimize the behavior of Mr. Doe and breaches of integrity on either side of the issue cannot be allowed to stand. So there is a relevancy letter. That management got 100% wrong. Okay? Management got the entire thing wrong. And let's dissect this letter. Management's stance on request for information is that we provide the information provided that the request for information is reasonable. Management does not determine what information I request is reasonable. Management will never determine if the information I request is reasonable to my grievance. They will never do that. I and I alone will determine what's relevant to my grievance. Management has no say-so. We go on. The key word here is reasonable. A look back at the previous information that Mr. Doe has requested, and indeed in this very grievance, shows that the amount of information requested is voluminous. Taking up an entire page and spanning several programs and access to documents, they're in management's opinion, not relevant to investigation into Article 8 grievances. Two things here. I don't give a damn how much information it is. You're going to get it for me. I don't care if it's five boxes of information. You're going to get me what I requested. So if you tell me anything that is, is voluminous, good. Get to printing. You're wasting time writing this letter. You could have been printing my shit off. But you're not. You're writing stupid-ass letters when you should be having your ass in there print my stuff off. And that's what I'd tell them if I'm the shop steward of formal step A and I was provided this letter. If I was provided this letter in formal A meeting, I'd say, how long did it take you to write that? What you should have been doing is printing my shit off. Then they say, take an entire page and, and spanning several programs and access to documents that in management's opinion, not relevant to investigation. In our, that's not up to you. <laughs> I don't give a damn what your opinion is. 
You don't determine what's relevant to my grievance. If I've got an Article 8 grievance and I'm going to request some stuff, you're going to provide it. You don't determine. or It's not for you to figure out if my information is relevant to my grievance. And I'm going to talk about some things here in just a second. It goes on. If indeed Mr. Doe is attempting to determine reasonably that grievance is valid and that a contractual violation has occurred, he'll be looking at the particulars of that person or persons aggrieved. You don't tell me that either. You don't tell me what I need to be looking at for my grievance. And that's what you're going to do when you get this letter. You're going to sit there and dissect every single part of this letter. And you're going to do just like I'm doing here. You're going to bullet point. Paragraph three, they said this, and you're going to, and you're going to rebut it, okay? But you don't tell me what I need for my grievance. Management contests that Mr. Doe's attempting to fish for additional violations that may have occurred. This also has a negative effect for the operation as the sheer amount of information requested takes an undue amount of time to collate and furnish. You, you need to get to stepping then. Like I said, you shouldn't have been typing this. You shouldn't have given me all this information that I requested. And we're going to go over that in Article 31, okay? Management stance of asking Mr. Doe for details at the time of requesting information is both protect the interest and security of the post office and its employees, and to also ensure that activities conducted within the confines of investigation and the postal operations are done so with integrity. You don't ask me for details as far as why I'm requesting information. I've got to give you a basic general description. I'm requesting these for a possible Article 8 violation. I'm requesting this for violation of Article 16 and 115 of the M39 handbook. That's a general description. That's all you're going to get. I'm not going to tell you my case when I request my information. I'm not going to do that. And I'll talk about that again here. But when they say that uh, for details, the time of requesting information, I don't have to go into detail. There's nothing in Article 17 or 31 that says that I have to go into detail about anything when I talk about an information request. The details asked for at the time of the RFI are, in management's opinion, reasonable. And they're asked to determine if the RFI is also reasonable in nature. A simple who, what, when, where, and why is what management contends is necessary to determine if a grievance has occurred and the RFI is a valid request for fish or a fishing expedition. You find who, what, when, where, and why in Article 17 and 31, and I'll do this. And that's what I tell them. Get into Article 17 and 31, and I want you to show me where it says that I have to show you who, what, when, where, and why when I request information. Because that's what they're saying. A simple who, what, when, where, and why is what management contends is necessary to determine if a grievance has occurred. First off, you don't determine if a grievance has occurred. I do. And that's what I got 14 days to determine. So whoever told you that you determine if I have a grievance or not is a dumbass. And if it's you, you're a dumbass. But you do not tell me if I have a grievance or not. I'm the one who decides that through an information request. And I do not have to be, it does not have to be in great detail. And it does not have to say who, what, when, where, and why. Like I said, when y'all get these, that's what you do. You dissect these letters. However, Mr. Doe has refused to elaborate or furnish any information pertaining to the RFI or grievances that may be occurring. Well, I don't have to provide any information on shit. 
Article 17 and 31 doesn't tell you that I have to provide any information for a damn thing. You provide me information. It's not the other way around. In fact, management often does not have any idea of what the grievance is referring to until it is filed and ready by management other than a brief listing of articles that may or may not have been violated. Well, when I get the information, I'll tell you if they've been violated or not. What do you want me to say? You, put, you give me an information request on what you want me to say. It's not going to change what I do, but I, I mean, if I say Article 8, what do you want me to say about Article 8? If I need clock rings from this period, this period to determine if there's been a violation of Article 8, that's a reasonable description of what I need. And you don't determine if it's reasonable. I do. I determine the reasonableness of my information request. When you get into Article 17, and we talked about this on my 17th episode, we'll go over this a little bit again. 17.3, it talks about this on page 17.3. The steward, chief steward, or other union representative properly certified in accordance with Section 2 above may request and shall obtain access through the appropriate supervisor to review the documents, files, and other records necessary for processing agreements or determining if a grievance exists and shall have the right to interview the aggrieved employees, supervisors, and witnesses during work hours. Such a request shall not be unreasonably denied. So who is it that determines if they have a grievance or not? It's me. It's the steward in accordance with Article 17. It's not the, the, the postmaster or the supervisor or whoever wrote this dumbass letter. It's not them, and that's what I would show them. At what point in Article 17 does it give you the right to determine if I have a grievance or not? In Article 17.3, it says that I'm the, the sole requester of information. I'm the sole determiner if there's a grievance or not. You have no part in this other than to do what you're supposed to do and give me my information. If you go to 17.4, steward's rights. I like that word after steward, don't you? Rights. Steward rights. Activities include a steward may conduct a broad range of activities related to the investigation and adjustment of grievances and of problems that may become grievances. These activities include the right to review relevant documents, files, and records as well as an interviewing of potential grievance supervisors and witnesses. So that's my right to investigate and adjust to grievances and problems that may become grievances. That's my right. It's not management's right. If you go to Article 31, 31.3, <clears throat> the employer will make available for inspection by the union all relevant information necessary for collective bargaining or the enforcement, administration, or interpretation of this agreement including information necessary to determine whether to file or to continue the processing of agreements under this agreement. Upon the request of the union, the employer will furnish such information, provided, however, that the employer may require the union to reimburse the U.S. for any cost reasonably incurred in obtaining the information. So let's, let's see that again. The employer will make available it did not say they, they may make available. It said they will make available for inspection by the union all relevant information necessary for collective bargaining or the enforcement, administration, or interpretation of this agreement, including information necessary to determine. You know, what does determine mean? 
It means to ascertain or establish exactly. Typically as a result of research or calculation. So it's up to us to ascertain if we have a grievance or not, to determine if we have a grievance or not. So all this information that you say isn't relevant, it may not be. But once I get it, I'm going to look at that information and then I'm going to ascertain or I'm going to determine when I get this information if it's relevant to my grievance or not. And if it's not, then I'm not going to use it. But if it is, if I have ascertained that it is relevant, if I have determined that it is relevant and I need that for the processing or the continued processing of this grievance, then that's what's going to happen. But I and I alone determine what's relevant to my grievance. You do not. Management. I and I alone determine if I have a grievance. You, management, do not. You have no, no skin in this game. You will meet with me at the informal and formal, and I'll show you what I've got. If I don't need it, you know what's going to happen? I'm not going to put it in my case file. If I request it and I don't need it, that's what's going to happen. If I request two boxes of information and I use two pages out of those two boxes, then what happened was I got in there and I said, you know what? I don't need that. I was going a certain route. Once I got it, I realized, hey, I don't have a grievance as far as that's concerned. I'm going to use two pages. You know what you're going to do? You're going to give it to me. That's what you're going to do. If you go to page 31.3, it talks about cost. Management in this relevancy letter wants to keep talking about is voluminous. It's going to do all these things. Well, that's covered. You're covered under Article 31. It talks about cost, what, you'll, what you can charge me for information. So you're not out anything. I don't give a damn how voluminous it is. I don't care if it fills up two truckloads. You can charge me for that. You're protected. So when you talk about it's voluminous and takes up all these pages, I don't give a shit. I don't care how much it takes up. You need to be getting me my information. You can put it on an F drive if you want to. You can put it on something, a disc, and give it to me like that. But don't talk to me about something being voluminous because you're protected under Article 31 where it talks about cost. I dealt with one of these relevancy letters in arbitration before. I had an arbitration in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, a removal. We were talking about a removal of a manager. And management refused to let us interview an MPU. And so we, we grieved that. And uh, we won that. Then we had another hearing in Jackson, Mississippi. And they gave us a relevancy letter. And we grieved that. And so we had to write a brief on the relevancy letter. And the there's another issue. In the brief that I wrote, like I said, Jeremy's going to put it up on from8arbitration.com. It's going to be the entire packet for you. It's the brief that I wrote. Uh, you won't need all of the brief, but I'll tell you where to go to on this brief, and you can use that for your relevancy letters. If you're going to grieve against these relevancy letters, um, you can do that. And then there's an Arbitrator August decision. That was the decision based off the relevancy letter, based off of this brief, and you can get that. It's going to be in there. And our, also National Arbitrator Mittenthal, that decision that I based my brief off of, is in will be in that packet for you. All those things, if you go to maybedarbitration.com, all those things will be in one site, okay? And Jeremy's already put it up there for you. But this brief that I wrote, it was dealing with two things. 
we were questioning the arbitrator's decision uh, that management had violated it. Part of it was this relevancy letter, and the second part was we felt that she had said that that this manager couldn't manage anybody, and uh, so that's what she addressed. And here's what the relevancy letter stated. This is the relevancy letter that we got, and this is one that we grieved. It says, Dear Mr. Stoddard, this letter is in response to your request for information dated July 30th, 2021 for number four, copy of any discipline and any investigation interviews conducted by Kirby Ragsdale at the Madison, Mississippi post office. Because your request is for information outside your bargaining unit and is not presumptively relevant, we are seeking to know the relevancy of your request. Be advised that your request has not been denied. Rather, we are seeking to know the relevancy of the information sought. Because the information sought is not presumptively relevant, the Postal Service requests that you state with specificity how the information is relevant and necessary to the performance of the union's collective bargaining duties. This will be necessary to know because NLCA and APW bargaining employees are not covered by the NLC contract. For clarity, I will reiterate that management is not refusing to provide you with the information which is relevant and necessary to the performance of your collective bargaining duties. At this time, we are requesting that you communicate the specific relevancy of the request so we may continue to process it. And so that was the request that was the relevancy letter that we received. And in the relevancy letter, I've got in there in the brief. I've got in there M0012, that's in the brief, so it's already there. It reads in relevant part, Article 17, Section 3 of the National Agreement states that interviews with aggrieved employees, supervisors, and witnesses shall not be unreasonably denied. It is anticipated that supervisors will respond to reasonable and germane questions during the investigation of aggrievance. In this instance, the specific nature of the questions and or reasons for the response or lack thereof is not known. And then M00988, M00988 reads in relevant part, after reviewing this matter, we mutually agreed that no national interpretive issue is fairly presented in this case. The subject matter of interviews with supervisors has been previously settled in case NCS 8463. It is anticipated that supervisors will respond to reasonable and germane questions during the investigation of a grievance. There is no negotiated requirement that questions must be submitted in writing in advance by either party. And so I just go on, and I'm just going to read it to you if you don't mind. I say, Madam Arbitrator, both parties have made it abundantly clear that we have the right to interview members of management, and we do not have to jump through hoops to do so. Management's entire relevancy letter is in violation of Articles 17 and 31. There are no set criteria we must meet to request information. As Mr. Stoddard stated in the remedy hearing, there is no criteria we must meet outlined in Articles 17 and 31. Again, the union cannot overstate the fact that management's entire letter is a clear violation of our national agreement. And I was talking about there where they said that they had, uh, where we had to list specific relevancies and state with specificity how the information is relevant. And that's what I was attacking there. And I said, Madam Arbitrator, the union is extremely fortunate here because National Arbitrator Mittenthal has already addressed this very issue 
in the case there dated November 16, 1990, and that Mententhal decision will also be in that packet. He opines in relevant part as follows, page 4. The step 2 answer prepared on November 20th by someone on Trigot's staff read in part, a review of the facts indicates that the APW Local 7048 has no contractual right to access to the minutes of the quality of work life meeting. The record indicates that the APW declined during the contract negotiations to participate in the QWL process. Therefore, their elimination for the program was by choice. Management has no obligation, and since another craft union is a primary participant, and no right to make this information available to the APW. And so what I'm talking about there is, in all arbitration cases, the arbitrator will show management's position and the union's position. And this was management's position. And they were saying that, hey, the information at the APW is outside of their collective bargaining agreements. It's outside their craft. And therefore, they don't have a right to it. And that's what the union was saying in, in front of National Arbitrator Mittenthal. And so that was what I was pulling out. It's the same argument management was making here. Look, the union is requesting to interview rule carriers and clerks. They're outside of their collective bargaining. They're outside of their craft. And so that's why I was saying we're fortunate because Menthol already addressed it. Then I go on, page 5-6. The relevant provisions of the 1984 National Agreement read in part, Article 17, Section 3. The steward, chief steward, or other union representative properly certified in accordance with Section 2 above, may request and shall obtain access through the appropriate supervisor to review the documents, files, and other records necessary for processing agreements or determine if agreements exist, and shall have the right to interview the aggrieved employees, supervisors, and witnesses during work hours. Such requests shall not be unreasonably denied. Emphasis added. And that's arbitrary Menthol. Article 31, Section 2. The employer will make available for inspection by the unions all relevant information necessary for collective bargaining or the enforcement, administration, or interpretation of this agreement, including information necessary to determine whether to file or to continue the processing of agreements. Under this agreement, upon the request of the union, the employer will furnish such information provided, however, that the employer may require the union to reimburse the USPS for any cost reasonably incurred in obtaining the information. And I addressed that earlier. Page 8-9. On the basis of NELC's claim that such information was necessary for collective bargaining, Bernstein had held and has expressly agreed, and this is one of the most important things now when he talks about National Arbitrator Bernstein and his decision. This is what Bernstein said, and this is some of the most powerful language you'll ever use on relevancy letters. This is a sufficient showing to comply with Article 31, Section 2 mandate that the data sought must be relevant information necessary for collective bargaining. The arbitrator cannot be made the judge of the union's bargaining needs. The decision as to what data is needed to prepare the union's bargaining proposals is one that only the union can make. If it asserts that it needs this data for the purpose, and there is no reason to conclude that the assertion is not truthful, that is enough to satisfy the mandate. Let me read that again, because that is as powerful language as you'll ever read. And this is in Mittenthal's decision, but he talks about Bernstein. I'm going to say it again. The arbitrator cannot be made the judge of the union's bargaining needs. 
The decision as to what data is needed to prepare the union's bargaining proposals is one that only the union can make. If it asserts that it needs this data for that purpose, and there is no reason to conclude that that assertion is not truthful, that is enough to satisfy the mandate. So when you get these relevancy letters and management says, hey, you need to tell me why you why you need this stuff here. It's a fishing expedition. No, you're going to give it to me. I'm going to determine if it's relevant or not. Not you. I'm not going to jump the hoops to do it. I'm not going to give you with specificity why I need it. I'm not going to tell you who, what, when, where, and why of why I need it. I'm going to tell you a general reason of why I need it, and you're going to give it to me. Okay? Then it goes on, page 10 of his decision. This is talking about Menthol's decision. No doubt some type of investigation precedes the submission of a grievance. Information is developed and a decision is made by APW as to whether or not a grievance is warranted. If there seems to be no merit in a particular complaint, presumably no grievance will be filed. It is for the APW alone to determine if a grievance exists, to determine whether to file a grievance. If the information it seeks has any relevancy to that determination, however slight, its request for this information should be granted. Assume for the moment that the EIQWO minutes were not relevant to the work jurisdiction grievance filed five weeks after APW initially requested these minutes. That assumption cannot control the disposition of the present case. Whether a piece of information is relevant to the merits of a given claim is one thing. Whether such information is relevant to APW's determination to pursue or not to pursue that claim through the filing of agreements is quite another. The latter question allows relevancy a far broader reach and should have permitted the APW, for the reasons already expressed, to receive the appropriate EIQWL minutes. The Postal Service view that APW's request for these minutes was a mere fishing expedition is not persuasive. That's the most devastating language you'll ever use in a relevancy letter. Okay? That one paragraph on page 10 of Menthol's decision is absolutely devastating to management's relevancy letters. I'm going to read that one more time. No doubt some type of investigation precedes the submission of a grievance. Information is developed and a decision is made by APW as to whether or not a grievance is warranted. If there seems to be no merit in a particular complaint, presumably there will be no grievance filed. It is for the APW alone to determine if a grievance exists, to determine whether to file a grievance. If the information it seeks has any relevancy to that determination, however slight, its request for this information should be granted. Assume for the moment that the EIQWL minutes were not relevant to the work jurisdiction grievance filed five weeks after the APW initially requested these minutes. That assumption cannot control the disposition of the present case. Whether a piece of information is relevant to the merits of a given claim is one thing. Whether such information is relevant to APW's determination to pursue or not pursue that claim through the filing of agreements is quite another. The latter question allows relevancy a far broader reach and should have permitted the APWU, for the reasons already expressed, to receive the appropriate EIQWL minutes. The Postal Service view that APWU request for these minutes was a mere fishing expedition 
is not persuasive. And that's what you will see on every relevancy letter, fishing expedition. You saw it on I read to you. You saw it on this one that Mr. Stoddard got. Page 11. This argument has in part already been answered. Surely, the restrictions on permissible subject matter for EIQWL groups could be ignored in a given meeting and work jurisdiction could become a matter of group discussion and perhaps even tacit agreement. That may not be what happened, but the only way APW could discover what was actually said in these meetings was to examine the minutes. Management refused to allow APW to do so. It thus prevented APW from making an informed and measured determination as to whether a grievance exists or whether to file a grievance. That was improper on Article 17 and 31. You remember that relevancy letter I read to you? We need to know who, what, when, where, and why. You don't determine that. I determine that. That's what I get information for. I'm going to determine if it's a relevant request or not when I get the information. And I don't need it. I'm going to say, well, that wasn't relevant. I thought it might be, but it wasn't. I make that determination, and I alone make that determination. That's what Mittendahl is saying over and over again. He goes on, even if management was correct in rejecting APW's request in September of 1986, the fact is that a grievance was filed on October 24th of 1986, protesting an alleged incursion on APW's work jurisdiction. The APW request for the menace was still pending as of October 24th. By then, however... Management had rearranged the dispatch function and perhaps reassigned work. Management acted, but nevertheless continued to refuse APW's request for the minutes. What the minutes contained, I do not know. They could possibly have revealed the kind of considerations which prompted the reassignment of the dispatch function. They could possibly have revealed some conflict between what management told the mail handlers and what management later told APW in processing the work jurisdiction grievance, and so on. They could very well have proven relevant to APW's case on the merits. APW had a right under Article 17 to review records necessary for processing agreements. APW had a right under Article 31 to relevant information necessary to determine whether to continue the processing of agreements. These rights were simply not honored. And then I finished it. I said, National Arbitrator Menthol's decision makes it crystal clear that the union can obtain relevant information from outside of our craft and collective bargaining unit. He also makes it clear, as you have in previous decisions, that the union determines the relevancy of our information request as to whether to file or to continue the processing of agreements. This is a matter already settled, Madam Arbitrator, not only by National Arbitrator Menthol, but by you as well. The union asks that you find in favor that management did indeed violate your decision as it pertains to Remedy 6. And then it goes on some some different things. And then in her decision, C35441, I hope I'm not going too fast for y'all. It is kind of intricate, but uh, there's a lot of these relevancy letters popping up. We need to make sure that we are, are well-versed on how to defend ourselves against them. But she gave her decision. It's on three, C35441, C35441. Again, Jeremy's going to put this up. On from arbitration.com in her decision, and I'm going to read you management's position on page nine. Management stated on page nine, further management held that there is nothing in the law which requires the employer to present a company official for an interview. They noted that the National Labor Relations Act 
does not require such a thing, but rather requires that the servant bargain in good faith and provide relevant and necessary information. The service maintained that any employer, including the USPS, has the right to respond to requests for information in any reasonable manner by providing information in alternate ways or using methods which are different than what was requested. Management contended that as long as they provide some form or response and the information is relevant, they need not do so by interview. They argue that it is not legal requirement. Management acknowledged that a union and its employer can negotiate terms in their collective bargaining agreement that could require interviews under certain circumstances. According to the service, the USPS and NELC negotiated Article 17 and the requirement for interviews. However, the service cautioned that the terms of the national agreement must be read and then interpreted by what it actually says rather than what one party interprets it to mean. Management argued that the interpretations must be objective and not self-serving for one side or the other. They further argued that the national agreement between the parties to the instant grievance not only requires that interviews be relevant and necessary, but they are also limited to three categories of people, the grievant, a witness, and a supervisor. The service maintained that if the interview is not relevant and necessary, and if the person the union seeks to interview is not the grievant, a witness, or a supervisor, then management has no obligation to provide an interview at all. Here, the service argued the POOM, Bill Ferrier, and the employees of Madison, Mississippi, are not a witness, not a grievant, and not a supervisor, and the NALC has no contractual right to interview them. The service disputed that the NALC's position that the union determines relevance and can interview anyone they please as long as they claim it is relevant. Management contended that the relevance is an objective standard. Otherwise, it would be meaningless as a requirement of the national agreement. They further contended that if the parties meant to give the union the sole decision-making authority to decide relevance, then the collective bargaining agreement would not refer to relevance and, necessary and necessity as requirements. Management asserted that those provisions and requirements do exist, thus they have to mean something, and not simply what the union chooses. The service cited the union's reliance on National Arbitrator Menthol's decision, where they selectively read into the record portions of Arbitrator, Arbitrator Menthol's conclusion. And then they cite some of National Arbitrator Menthol. Management argued that this is exactly what they did in the instant case, where they sent not one, but two requests for relevancy. According to the service, at no time in those requests did management ever deny or refuse to provide the information. They simply requested that the union explain why it is relevant, which the union failed to do. The service maintained that none of the information was directly related to their bargaining unit and the management was well within their rights to request relevancy with specificity. Management contended that they had no duty to provide interviews with the POOM or other craft employees, NRLCA and APW grievances, or NRLCA and APW discipline. They further contended that management provided the Form 50 showing Kirby Ragsdale's permanent assignment at Madison, Mississippi the climate survey results, and training history, yet the union continues to insist on interviews. The service asserted that the POOM and non-NLC employees still are not witnesses, the grievant or a supervisor. They further asserted that Bill Ferry is a POOM, not a supervisor. It was the contention of the employer that the parties at the national level are skilled negotiators and they meant management or all ES employees they would have used those terms to specify which employees the union has the right to interview. 
And so that was their position. And then here's her decision. The union alleged that management failed to adhere to the provisions of Article 17 and thus violated the terms of the aforementioned remedy when they continued to deny information to the union. Specifically, the union alleged that management failed to provide requested information and failed to make individuals they requested available for interview. Management argued that the union, NELC, had no inherent right to interview the clerks and rural carriers from Madison, Mississippi because those individuals were not covered under the national agreement between the USPS and NLC. Management further argued that the information requested by the union, such as the grievances that were filed by and the discipline that was issued to the same clerks and rural carriers in Madison, were not automatically subject to their review, if the union could not provide specific relevancy to the instant case. The service relied on the provisions of Article 1 to withhold such information subject to clarification by the union. They asserted that the national agreement further requires that interviews not only be relevant and necessary, but are also limited to three categories of people, the grievant, a witness, and supervisor. The service maintained that if the interview is not relevant and necessary, and if the, if the person the union seeks to interview is not the grievant, a witness, or a supervisor, then management has no obligation to provide an interview at all. Then she cites Article 17 language, and she underlines this. These activities include the right to review relevant documents, files, and records, as well as interviewing a potential grievance, supervisor, or witnesses. And she goes on. Reading interview, regarding interviews, Article 17 makes clear that the potential for interview covers a broad range of individuals, including supervisors, not the grievance supervisor, but supervisors in general, of which Poom Ferry would be considered one. Postal patrons, witnesses, and postal law enforcement, postal inspectors and OIG agents. The key to determining whether an interview is relevant and necessary would be its fundamental connection to the matter. While there may have been some case make, made regarding interviews of individual clerks and rural carriers at the Madison, Mississippi Post Office, Interviewing the Poom for their area was reasonable in this arbitrator's opinion. In light of the remedy awarded in this case, the fact of the matter is it would have also been reasonable to allow the union to interview only the union stewards assigned at the office so as to determine whether or not Mr. Ragsdale is directly involved in any disciplinary actions or employment actions which would violate the terms of the award in this case. The fact of the matter is Mr. Ragsdale was removed from his duties in Clinton as a result of a finding that the JSLV had been violated a contract to which all parties have a stake. His displacement was not meant to create an issue for another office, and the award was specific to ensure that no employee would be subject to the pattern of behavior this manager has displayed in the past. The goal is for the service to take this opportunity to develop this individual while he worked under the guidance of a more experienced manager with highly developed human resource skills in order to salvage the qualities that management argued were valuable to the service. In order to ensure that this portion of the remedy was complied with by management, the union sought information to which I believe they were entitled. She lists Article 31. Here the union advised management that the information they requested and the interviews they sought were related to the verifying compliance with an award in this instant grievance. None of the requests were for offices other than the office to which Mr. Ragsdale was reassigned. And there were numerous elements included in the remedy which were specific to how Mr. Ragsdale could be assigned over the following two years. The National Agreement and JCAM in regards to information sharing uses the term only and reasonable. 
which translate to mean that the only requirement is to show the fundamental relationship to the request and possible grievance. Here the possible grievance was compliance with the original award, and it is the opinion of this arbitrator that the relationship was satisfied by the fact that the request for information was related to Mr. Ragsdale's new assignment. The union advised management of that fact when they stated that they requested the information to verify compliance with the award dated April 21st. And so she shot down the relevancy letter. And so there's your, your episode in a nutshell. It was a little bit longer than I thought it was going to be. I didn't think it would be very long at all. But relevancy letters. Get that brief. You'll see it on uh, from aidarbitration.com. It's going to start out on page eight. The first part of it's irrelevant, and the last part of it's irrelevant. But you'll get the meat of that, where I dissect National Arbitrator Mittenthal's decision, where he talks about that determination as hours and hours alone. And you'll have Arbitrator August's decision to go with your contentions to show that uh, she's already dealt with the relevancy letter. But we're seeing more and more of these relevancy letters pop up, and I believe it's because you're getting more and more educated. You're asking for more and more things, and uh, management's going to consider that a threat. And so how they will try to snuff out that threat is through relevancy letters. Okay, and they're going to say, well, what you're requesting isn't relevant. And how many of us will say, well, damn, I thought it was. Okay, well, thank you. We cannot do that. Okay, we cannot do that. You fight for everything. All right, fight for everything. Like I was telling this gentleman at the formal step A meeting, know for a fact what you're talking about. Know for a fact what your contentions are, that you're 100% right. You get one of these relevancy letters. You file a grievance under 17 and 31. You have your contentions. You can steal that brief. Uh, hopefully it'll come where you can edit that. Copy and paste that where I've talked about Menthol's decision. You can copy and paste that. Make that your own. You have Arbitrator August's decision to go with that, to prove your position. But as I've always said, be a bulldog in that formal step A meeting, okay? We're not going to be bullied by anybody, anybody, all right? Uh, if your business agent isn't helping you, contact National. You heard Mr. Renfro say that. Contact. I don't understand why we have business agents that are cowardly. I will never understand that. To me, you're in the most important position in the union, the business agent. Uh, I know that they don't like to step on branch president's toes, but as a shepherd, you got to do that sometimes when you're protecting your flock, your entire flock. You got those that stray every once in a while, and you got to leave your flock and go get them, right? You got to save them. That's what you're called to do. You protect all of us, okay? If you got to step on toes, step on some toes. But you protect all of us. You be a shepherd. Don't be a sheep herder. Don't leave from behind. Okay? I said I've been burned time and time and time on that in my region. Uh, we used to have a very strong region. Uh, bulldogs as business agents. And for some reason, man, we have slipped. I don't know what's happened. Um, it's sad. It's sad. It really is. And um, so, but... Um, Maybe with new leadership, you know, congratulations to Mr. Renfro on his ticket. Uh, maybe with new leadership, they'll get a rein on these business agents that aren't doing their damn job. And they'll have meetings with them and they'll tell them, do your damn job. Because <laughs> uh, we have too much cowardice creeping into our business agent's office. That's, that's where you cannot have it. 
You cannot have it there, baby. You talking about some trouble, son. Speaking on the election, like I said, congratulations to Mr. Renfro and uh, his ticket on winning. But listen to these numbers, which is shocking. It says the following reports are tabulated from, from ballots received on or before October 21st, 2022. These certified results account for 43,363 ballots cast from 277,176. So 43,363 out of 277,000 voted. Participation rate of 15%. Man, get involved with your union. Okay, get involved with your union at every level. If you got a problem with your union at the at the city level, at the installation level, go to your union meetings and raise hell, and call people out. If your branch president isn't going to do anything, and I get so many letters and, and messages about branch presidents not doing anything, vote their asses out. Vote them out. If your shop steward is is not doing anything, if they're in bed with management. Vote their asses out. If your business agent is a coward, vote their ass out. Educate yourself. Educate yourself. That's the most important thing. Educate yourself. And that way, one day, you can step up and be that shop steward. Be that branch president. Be that business agent. Educate yourself. Get cowards out of this union, man. Vote them out. Hold them out, all right? Um, again, sorry, no episode last week. I was, I was with my pops. Um, again, thank you all for the, the love you showed there. Covered quite a bit today. A lot more than I thought I was going to do. But formal A, you got the removal letter. We dissected that a little bit. And these relevancy letters. So hopefully that helps you with the relevancy letters. Uh, I think it will. It, it gives you my mindset on it anyway that we determine relevancy management does not. Uh, JB's going to come in and do one on quarterly overtime. That's probably the biggest question I have is people talking about quarterly overtime and how we handle that. He has a formula he uses. It's very good. Uh, He's very successful in quarterly overtime grievances. So he's going to do one. Also, I'm going to get Mr. John Poskin in here. He's going to do one on transfers. That's another hot topic. He's very good at that. He's going to come in here and do that. Um, so got a lot of good things coming up. Y'all have a fantastic week and I'll talk to y'all next Sunday. Uh, don't know what it's going to be on yet. If JB can come in here or not, if he can't, then I'll do something else, but, uh, y'all have a fantastic week. Thank y'all for the love y'all are showing on, uh, all these media outlets uh, from arbitration.com from Facebook. Make sure you're getting on their Facebook page from made arbitration. Talk to miss Lindsay. She's doing a beautiful job there discord's jumping right now there's a lot of people on there and they some great advice being given in there on discord you got reddit a lot of good stuff going on there a lot of funny stuff on reddit that guy's doing a great job with that uh you've got um twitter uh uh, made arbitration twitter page and so y'all get on those things and have some fun with your brothers and sisters man they're having a good time on there and uh it's it's still bizarre to me that that's based off of made arbitration, but hey, we'll have fun with it, right? Uh, so y'all have a great rest of the week. If I've not answered any questions y'all have asked in the past week, I apologize. I've just not been in it, okay? I've been with my dad. 
so I usually try to get back to you relatively quickly. Um, and, and we go over things, we'll talk about things, contentions and whatnot. Uh, I've just not been with it the last week or so. I've been thinking about my dad, been with him and my mom. And so, um, I apologize that, that I've not been getting back to y'all like I normally would. Uh, if I've not gotten back to y'all on something, message me again. Okay. Um, but my dad came home yesterday. So finally we got him back home. He's doing great. He's never been sick in his life. He's 85 now. And he's never been sick. And so all this is new to him. <laughs> and so he doesn't understand it. He's like, you know, hell, I'm fine. And then one day, you know, you got cancer, your heart's failing, you got blood clots. And you're like, good God. But uh, he's doing much better now. And so, again, thank you all. But if, if you've reached out to me and I haven't gotten back to you, that's why. So, so holler at me, okay? And we'll get some things adjusted. Well, I love each and every one of you. I do. I thank you uh, for what you're doing for this union, for your support, and for standing up to protect your people, your brothers and sisters. We need more like y'all. So y'all have a fantastic week, and I'll talk to you next Sunday. All right? Bye.